welcome to Recast, presented by the Baptist Union of Scotland. Each episode will look at a key issue of mission or discipleship for church leaders in Scotland. We will be bringing you key voices, practical insights and unique stories, all focused on the church in Scotland. Welcome to the Recast. Thank you for taking the time to download this episode. I don't have my colleague Lisa with me today as this is one of our summer mini pods and we hope you enjoy this episode. I'm delighted this afternoon to have uh, Dave Richards uh, from P's and G's Church in Edinburgh with me. Dave, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to sit with us. Absolute pleasure, Glenn. Um, Dave, just in case there are some people in this world who don't know who you are, uh, I wonder if you uh, might take a few minutes just to tell us who you are and what you do. So I lead St Paul's and St George's uh, Scottish Episcopal Church in the centre of Edinburgh. Um, I'm called the rector, that's my official title, but I get called lots of other things as well. Um, And I've been here for 26 years, much to my surprise. Um, Never thought that we'd be here this long. Uh, Quite a large church in terms of Scottish terms. Um, So about a thousand people would call Peace and Cheese home. Um, Lots of young professionals, lots of kids, lots of families. Um, Evangelical, charismatic, charismatic. yeah, that's, that's me in terms of the professional life. Um, my wife is a clinical psychologist. Um, I'm one of her case studies and have been for 33 <laughs> years of our marriage. Uh, and we've got three kids who are now all grown up, uh, 28, 24 and 21. Uh, and the eldest of whom has just actually got ordained in the Church of England uh, together wow. with his wife. So they've started ministry down south. Fantastic. I support Manchester United, and for the yes, last good years, job. I've been seeing a grief counsellor. <laughs> <laughs> you and I both, you and I both, fabulous. Thanks, Dave. And Dave, the reason we've got you on is you were kind enough to come and share with us at Canopy this year, and uh, you obviously shared your main uh, stage talk, which I think lots of us who were there found really uh, both encouraging, challenging, and, and I guess also uh, quite moving at times. But the main reason we've got you here is you were involved in a seminar on church planting. And uh, those who are at Canopy know that church planting is something that we really feel God's spoken to us as a network about. Um, but we know that you're passionate about it as well. And I'm just wondering if you would tell us why you think church planting is such an important thing for Scotland uh, at this time. Well, I think it's it's partly in response to where we are as a context and as a society. So... We now live in a nation where only 5% of the population are in any church on any given Sunday. Um, And officially now Scotland is an unreached people's group in terms of uh, world mission. So for a nation that was once described as the people of the book and we sent missionaries around the world, we're now in a position where we're receiving missionaries because we are a very secular nation we're post-christian we're post-christendom and um we're in a context where the need now is to plant new churches um and every church that any of us have ever belonged to at some point was a church plant 
Um, so St. Paul's and St. George's was a church plant in 1832 uh, when it was uh, built to commemorate uh, Wellington's victory over Napoleon in uh, 1815, <laughs> which is always a good reason to build a new church. Um, but actually it was a church plant much more recently than that in 1984 when it was a graft, when the membership of the church at the time was down to 12. And St. Thomas's Christophin, out in the west of the city, yeah. um, said to the then bishop, if you give us a say in appointing the new rector, we'll put 50 or 60 people in as a church plant. Mm -hmm. And those 50 or 60 people joined with the existing 12 in 1984, and 30, 40 years later, we're now a church of 1,000. Uh, we've planted two churches ourselves in the last eight years, um, quite different to each other, yeah. um, and we learned some lessons through that. But I think it's just the recognition that if 95% of the population in Scotland don't go to any church, um, you know, it's the definition of insanity. Um, I think it was Einstein said, is of, of doing the same thing, but somehow expecting different results. Yeah. Well, if the model of church that we've had for the last 200 years has ended up with us where we are now, why do we think that carrying on with that model of church is going to cut it in the future. Yeah. In the Episcopal Church, you know, why do our 19th century buildings, and actually the Episcopal Church planted loads of churches in the 19th century. Oh, is that right? Uh, right across Scotland. Um, but why do we think a 19th century model of church is appropriate for a 21st century environment? So can we reinterpret not the message but the methods and the models of being and doing church in a way that is culturally appropriate and relevant for our society and our context at this moment in this time, um, where we can learn the lessons from history, where we can learn lessons from around the world, where other people are being far more successful in terms of church planting than we are in the West, so that we can learn from people in the Far East, we can learn from people in South America, um, Increasingly, I don't know about you, but I find uh, models from America less helpful uh, because we are very different. There are some similarities, but we're a very, very different context. We're a yep. much more secular post-Christendom society. Yep. The smart American church leaders are now coming to Europe to learn lessons from us because they recognize that what we have now, they are coming into yep. um, a very similar environment to ours. So we have to plant different types of churches, new types of churches. And because there are so many different types of people and ethnicities and contexts, it will require, I think it was Rick Warren, it will said, who said, we will need to plant all sorts of different types of churches to meet all sorts of different types of people. Yeah. So the church planting uh, ambition, if you like, doesn't belong to the Episcopal Church or the Presbyterian Church or even, dare I say, the Baptist Church. Oh, I'm but not it, sure about that. <laughs> where it's all of us working together, yeah. seeing each other as collaborators, not competitors, yeah. for the kingdom in Scotland and saying, how can we encourage each other? How can we cheer each other on to plant new churches um, alongside existing churches yeah. um, who may well continue? But the reality is that in lots of our denominations, it's a story of decline. Um, Jesus said, I will build my church. And he will build his church with or without us. Um, and the church in Scotland will continue to exist in one form or another. 
But I believe passionately that we need a church planting network, as it were, across denominations, across stripes, across streams, where we can encourage one another to, to be obedient to what God is calling us to do to plant new churches. Yeah. And ultimately, the goal of that, of course, is we want to see people come to know Jesus, right? And Yeah. You're convinced that church planting is one of the most effective ways of getting people to come to know Jesus? Yeah, and I think it's... We're, Stuart Murray, very helpful, um, years ago, 20-odd years ago now, wrote the, the textbook on church planting in the UK. Yeah. Um, and he, he said, you need to remember that what's planted is the gospel. Hmm. So the gospel is planted in, in Scripture. It isn't churches that are planted, but most of the verbs in the New Testament are plural. Now, in the West, I'm, you know, I'm an evangelical Christian, Protestant, charismatic. I used to work as an evangelist, so I believe in the need for an individual to come to a living personal faith in Jesus. Um, but most of the verbs in the New Testament are plural. We somehow in the West, in the 20 and 21st century, have interpreted those verses as applying to us as individuals. But it was unthinkable for the early church not to be in community. So as soon as you became a follower of Jesus Christ in the first, second, third century, you became a member of the church. Yep. You were baptized into the church. Um, I would argue you baptized your children, but we'll leave that one aside for now. <laughs> that's um, a different podcast, Dave. That's a different <laughs> podcast. Um, but you were included in the community. Um, perhaps you... you you know, you went through a year of, of what's uh, the catechesis, the early t teaching of the church, the sort yeah. of the alpha course of, of 20, you know, 2000 years ago. But you, you went through a year's instruction before you were baptized. You weren't actually allowed to go along to the worship services because um, that was for Christians. And you were being instructed in the way of Christ. Um, and who knows, you might have given to the Roman authorities names of the people who were these followers of the way so you weren't actually allowed to go which flies in the face of seeker services and all that and <laughs> um, you weren't allowed to go to the worship gatherings once you had gone through a year's worth of catechesis and teaching you were then baptized probably on easter day you were given a new set of clothes you were given a christian name and then you're allowed to join this thing the ecclesia Probably the same Greek root word that we get the word Kaylee from. Huh, nice. Where, where you have this um, coming together, Jewish word yeah. synagogue, um, but you have this assembly where people come together just like a, a Kaylee and they each bring a contribution. Mm. Um, probably more of a Baptistic view of. Uh, uh, well, you, yeah, you're finally yeah. coming to the light, Dave. Good. Well, steady. I was once <laughs> in the light, but I'm now in the dark. Um, so it was unthinkable to a, to a Jewish mind, to a Greek mind, to a Roman mind, to, to think that being a follower of Christ was something of an individualistic enterprise. In the West, we have translated that as being, a, a you know, you do it alone as an individual. As soon as you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you join with other Christians, you become a member of the church, and we, we learn to figure out how to be a disciple of Christ with each other. 
The church is supposed to be a sort of laboratory where we find out how to love, how to forgive, how to put up, bear with each other. Paul is utterly realistic in his descriptions of the church so that we can then learn how to do that in the world, so that we can then learn how to reveal Christ living a salt and light in Edinburgh, in Glasgow, in Inverness, in Partick, in Dundee, you know, wherever. Um, so it, it's unthinkable not to think of discipleship and being a Christian without the church. So that's why church planting is important. Brilliant. Dave, that's excellent. You, you mentioned uh, Stuart Murray-Williams' book, uh, church, I think it's just called Church Planting, isn't it? The, yeah. Um, there, is there another resource that you would recommend to anyone who's listening to this or has been provoked about church planting in the last little while who wants to think a little about it or read a little more? I mean, fortunately, I mean, the, the bad news for Scots is that most of it is south of the border. Yeah. Um, because in terms of church planting, they are streets ahead. Yeah. And this is across different denominations. But for the last 20 or 30 years, they have really thought about church planting. And there's lots of resources. The Centre for, for uh, Church Multiplication, uh, the Gregory Centre, um, that would be one place with lots of podcasts and talks and videos. They've done, I think, three conferences now on church planting. Um, uh, there are books, Stefan Pass's book on church planting in the West, yeah. really helpful critique of church yeah. planting, written by a European about Europe and the strengths and weaknesses of church planting in the West. Um, Ed Stetzer's book on planting missional churches, and then Tim Keller's uh, book, uh, is also very helpful. Yeah. I mean, there are, you can probably see a pile of books. But if you, if there was a video of this podcast, you would see a pile of books. And on my table behind me, I've got 60 books because I'm doing a doctor of ministry in church planting. And um, there are loads of resources now on church planting um, and more and more are being written all the time. Um, so if anybody wants to email me, dave at peasandgs.org.uk, I will happily send you a book list, a video list, a podcast list of church planting um, because there's, there's, a, there's loads out there now. Yeah. Dave, that's fantastic. That's been really, really helpful uh, to hear your uh, thoughts on that. And I, I'm sure you're going to be a, a key partner for us as we think about church planting over the next uh well, decades, uh, because it is a, a, a long-term project. Um, bless you and your work. Uh, thank you for all that you've shared with us this year. And uh, we look forward to working with you soon. And uh, thanks for your time today. Thanks, Liam. See you soon.